give you a couple of quick updates, a couple of quick announcements. A couple of things. I want to first off encourage you, if, if some of you haven't tried and you think you'd like to try to be in the choir uh, Sunday mornings, we want to push that again. We want to encourage that again. Uh, if you'll be here at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, uh, they have a quick run through from about 9 to 9.30 after that. There's donuts and coffee. Uh, if, if you think you can sing, if you'd like to sing, if you want to just make a joyful noise, uh, if you'll come and encourage folks to join you in that as well. Then our Monday night mission night's back in full swing. Monday night's at 5.30. There's a, there's a place for everybody. We've got some, uh, they're going to go to the nursing home, others that are going to write letters, others will be on a prayer team, others that are going to make different kinds of visits. Uh, come and find a place, and I promise you, it'll be more of a blessing for you than it will for other people, and it'll be a blessing for other people as well. Then, I want to encourage you to be in prayer coming up starting October 15th. We start on a Saturday night. Uh, our 30-day revival starts on that Saturday night. I want to encourage you to be in prayer for that already. Be in prayer uh, that God's able to take it, to use it, uh, and to bless it. We're looking forward to those days together as well. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity to come in the middle of the week uh, to study your word, to fellowship with each other. We're thankful for the food uh, that we had, the great time of fellowship. We praise you for that, Lord. We just come now and pray as we begin to study your word in our little kid classes, in our youth classes, in our other classes, in this meeting as well. I pray that you would speak and that you would lead, that you would build and grow your people. And I pray it would be a meaningful, impactful time as we study your truth. I, I come and I pray for our 30-day effort coming up. I pray that you're at the center of it. I pray that you lead it. I pray that you're able to use it and bless it. I pray that we would commit to it as a church, that we would commit to being here, to, to encouraging folks to come with it, uh, come with us and to, and to participate. And then I, I pray, Lord, that um, many would find Christ in this effort. Uh, if, if in our building, praise the Lord, if some other way, praise the Lord. But I pray that folks that are outside of the hearing of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be saved, would find peace in this effort. So I pray that you, uh, you bless it. I pray for our Monday night mission night as well as we uh, get back in gear there. I pray that you open doors and that you give us opportunities, that you give us eyes, and I pray that you're known through that effort as well. Then, Lord, we come tonight and we pray very specifically for rain. Uh, Lord, you know what we need. Uh, you, you know our condition. We come and there's absolutely nothing we can do, but you've told us to come to you and to ask you. And so we come in humility, knowing you're the creator God of all things. You're the sustaining God of all things, that you love us. You tell us as a, as a dad wants to bless his kids, even an earthly dad that, that would make mistakes, how much more our perfect heavenly father. So we come and I pray that you bless us with rain, uh, and it's just a sign of your grace uh, and your care for us. And so we trust that to you as well. Lord, we just tell you tonight, we, we praise you, we thank you, we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we're going to get started. Our lesson is in the grand scheme of things. That's our big title. We are already in the 29th week, moving ahead. Uh, this week our lesson is entitled, Let's Try This Again. We just had one king uh, King Saul, now we're going to see the process again. So our lesson's entitled, Let's Try This Again. Our verses that we're going to look at 
Uh, 1 Samuel's chapter 15, 16, and 17, a pretty good chunk. And then 2 Samuel chapter 2 and chapter 5. As has been the case all the way through our study, uh, we're not going to have time to look at all of that. Uh, I would encourage you to read that. I encourage you, especially after we leave here tonight, we've got a, a context set that if you go and read those chapters, uh, God will grow you and lead you and bless you in that. So 1 Samuel chapter 15, 16, 17, 2 Samuel chapter 2 and chapter 5. We're going to pull parts of that out tonight in our Bible study. From our worksheet, our key points, uh, after the failing of King Saul, God appoints a new king, King David. Uh, this account shows once again, while people sadly fail, that's the case, that's the truth, God is faithful to move his plan forward. And so God is faithful, God is trustworthy, and God's plan moves forward. We know that's heading to our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, the production of him through a people, but also the proclamation of him uh, through his word. And so God's faithful and God moves his plan forward. Tonight we're going to move into the transition from King Saul, the first king of Israel, to King David. And then once we're here, we're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at the life of King David. All right, tonight I'm going to ask some different questions in the course of our study and, and if, you, if you have an answer, you want to try to answer that, uh, there's no really right or wrong. And so a couple different places, if you, want to, if you want to say, hey, here's what your answer would be. Our start-off question tonight is this. What is success? What is success? What do we consider to be successful? If I say, hey, they are successful. Or if I say, oh, what a great success we had. What is success? And I thought about that. What were things we might consider success? To achieve a goal. This was the goal. We achieved the goal. That's success. Um, to arrive at a destination. And that may be a certain level of wealth. It may be a certain level of education. maybe a certain level of reputation. But you say, you know what? I want to I end up over there. I may be here. But I, here's the goal, and when we get there, we'd say, well, that was a success. We've uh, uh, arrived at a destination. What do we consider success? I want you to think about that for a second. If, if I were to ask you, what is success, true success, what answer would you give? And then here's the point to our lesson tonight. What does God consider success? If, if, if it's successful in God's eyes, what does that mean? What does that entail? So we may have an idea of success. Maybe I pray it matches up with his, but, but what would his definition of success be? All right, here we go. I'm going to start off God's measure of success. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 through 28 says this. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Saul says to Samuel, I've messed up. I've sinned. I didn't listen to the word of God. I didn't listen to what you said. I was scared of the people. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Saul is messed up. 
Uh, they, they had gone and conquered an army. They weren't supposed to take any spoil. Uh, Samuel shows up. Saul says, well, we did what God wanted us to do. And, and Samuel says, I think I hear sheep bleeding. He actually says that. What's, what's the bleeding of sheep I hear? And he says, well, the people took those. Well, he was the leader of the people. They weren't supposed to do that. He says, I've sinned. I've messed up. Please come back with me and worship. Now, here's the deal. He needs Samuel to go with him so the people will know God's with him. And if he goes back and he doesn't take Samuel, they'll know, hey, there's some problem with the prophet, with the man of God. And so he, he says, really come back with me and so the people won't see our separation. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, listen to this, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. The problem is you weren't obedient. You didn't listen and follow the word of the Lord, and so the Lord has rejected you of being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. All right, here's what we see in this first set of verses in this first event here. God does not measure success by popularity. Well, the people are watching. The people wanted to do this. I listen to the people. Come back with me so the people aren't upset. God doesn't measure success by popularity. He doesn't measure it by accomplishment. They conquered the army. He said, hey, we've, we've done what you said. We've conquered the army. He doesn't consider it a success because the result is the desire. Here's what God considers success. All right, start listening to this. God considers success obedience. That's what God considers success. You know when you're successful in God's eyes? When you're obedient. Not when people like you. Not when there's a big crowd cheering you on. Not when you even do the thing. He seeks, desires obedience. Here's the deal. To be successful and useful in God's system, here's what we need to do. We have to hear what he commands. That's what, that's what Samuel told him. We have to trust in his word, and we have to walk in exact, full obedience. That's what God wants from each of us. That's what God wanted from them. Hear what he says, okay? This is how you live as a married person. This is how you operate in a church. This is how you do business. This is how you control your tongue. Here's what I've said. Now you hear that and then you trust me. I want the best for you. I'm infinitely wise. I know the good things. I know the future. And so you trust me. And then here's what we do. We say, you know what? I'm going to walk that out in exact, precise obedience. Here's where Saul messed up. Saul was, had failed to obey God. Did he conquer the army? Yes. He failed to obey God. I want to show you something right here. I'm going to ask if Dino will come help me out. <laughs> We're going to cook something. She's been cooking all day, so she wants to cook one more thing. If you'll stand right here, here's what I like. I like a lot of things, but I like Reese's peanut butter cups. I like those, and, and so 
I thought we could go buy some, but I found this recipe on Food Network that tells us how to make them. So we're actually tonight going to make, for real, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups with this recipe. It says, courtesy of Todd Wilbur. Whoever that is, that's the guy that makes peanut butter cups. It tells us the ingredients. It tells us how to make them. We're going to do that. We're going to have a whole bunch of Reese's Pieces. All right, first thing it says is this. I'm going to double the recipe because there's a few of us here. We don't, we're not, we don't want to run out. It says one cup of peanut butter put in this bowl. So there's a spoon. Yeah, go, we need two cups, so let's go ahead and put all that in there. There was a little more, but that was my lunch today, too. All right, that looks good. All right, and then it says this, a quarter teaspoon of salt. I found these packs, they are a quarter teaspoon of salt, and so we're going to put two of those in there. I didn't know they had salt in them, but that's all right. I should have brought you a paper towel, I guess. All right, so we have two cups of peanut butter in there, a half teaspoon of salt in there. The next thing it says to add is a half cup of powdered sugar. A half cup, we're going to double it, so we're going to put a full cup. Now, I need to tell you something right here right quick. We didn't have any powdered sugar today. I went over there. I guess you all made something last week, and you all used all the powdered sugar we don't have any powdered sugar, but what we do have, it is white. It looks like powdered sugar. I don't think you can tell by looking it's not powdered sugar, but it's flour. But it's close. And so I'm going to ask, go ahead and put a whole cup of flour in there. It's just like powdered sugar. It's just like it. Then it says to do this in our recipe. It says take 12 ounces of Hershey's milk chocolate chocolate chips. All right, so we've got all that stuff ready. Take 12 ounces, so we're going to do 24 ounces of Hershey's milk chocolate chocolate chips. Now, it says put them in the microwave for a certain amount of time. We don't have a microwave on the stage, but these lights are hot, so we're just going to go with that. Now, here's the problem with that. We didn't have any Hershey's milk chocolate chocolate chips. I went to get some. United was out. They've been having things missing for about two years now. They didn't have chocolate chips, but they did have raisins. And so I have a cup of raisins. Now, it says melt them and then pour them in this pan. We could do that, but that's for other people. This guy doesn't know everything. So we're, it's all going to be the same thing anyway, so just go ahead and pour them in there. All right, so a cup of peanut butter. Got it. Salt, got it. Powdered sugar, got it. It's just flour. Hershey's chocolate chips, got it. Raisins. All right, go ahead and mix that up if you would. I think the lights aren't hot enough. All right, now pour that right here. It said put them in a cup, 10. I, didn't have, I just had this big pan, so we're just going to make one big Reese's peanut butter cup. Does that look good? Do you want to taste it? I don't, 
I think it's all right. <laughs> All right, let's see what it made. You want to see what it made? It made Reese's peanut butter cups. That worked out pretty well. Very cool, very cool. Help me pass these out. Raisins are not good. You want to pop them up? Here, we'll get it. All right, pass those out. Here's the point to that. <laughs> There was a point to that. Here's a point to that. God gives us specific commands. He gives us exact things to be obedient in. Here's the problem. We say, does that one really matter? Does, what if we, does this one really matter? Does it have to be powdered sugar? And the truth is this. When you miss a step to God's plan, you mess up the recipe. I'll tell you this. Once the recipe's messed up, it's messed up. And so if God says, here's how to structure your home, here's how to live in your marriage, here's how to handle your finances, and you say, well, this is good enough, but I don't care, I'll throw some raisins in, you mess up the recipe. Once the recipe's messed up, the whole thing's blown up. God calls us to be careful and exact in our obedience. It matters. Now, let me tell you some of the problems with that. Some of it we don't understand. Why can't we switch out raisins for chocolate? They're all right. Sometimes God is teaching us something that we don't understand. Sometimes he's putting something in that we can't comprehend in the moment. So you think, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'll just use flour. It all matters. God is infinite in wisdom. We have to hear what he says, and then we have to carry it out in exact obedience. Let me ask a question, and I want you to try to answer this. You can just holler out. Why is obedience so hard? Simple question. God tells us to be obedient. Why is obedience so hard? Anybody can answer. Want to do your own thing. Just want to do your own thing. Makes obedience hard. Think you know better. You can switch out raisins for chocolate. You know that, right? We think we know better. Why is obedience hard? Think we know better. Want to do our own thing. It's against the culture. Everybody's putting raisins in instead of chocolate. It's against the culture. Anybody else? Why is obedience so hard? Take the easy way out. It's hard to do all the stuff and get the microwave and heat this up. This is a lot easier. Take the easy way out. Anybody else? Good answers all the way around. <coughs> Say it again. You have to let go. You have to say, oh, I don't know everything. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Here, here's what I thought about. Um, why is obedience so hard? I, I thought about this. We like to sin. We like to do our own thing. We like the easy way, culture. Here, I think, is the biggest thing. We don't really know who God is. Because if you really know who God is, he is good, and he's going to do the good thing. He is wise. He's not going to do the wrong thing. He, he loves me, and so he's not going to hurt me. And if you actually know who God is, guess what? Obedience becomes a lot easier. Here's the trick to the whole thing. We have to know who God is. We've got to know him in his word. We've got to study. We've got to think. And I'll just tell you this. The more you know who he is, the easier it is to walk in obedience. Yes, we've got a, a nature we've got we to fight against. Yes, it's easier to sin. 
But if we will know who he is and grow in our knowledge of who he is, it's a lot easier to walk in obedience. Guess what Saul did? He didn't listen. He wasn't exact in his obedience. All right? Continuing on. A new king. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Samuel's upset. Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Remember, they named the king before. God says, I'm going to name the king now. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? He said, In peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Okay, he goes and he says, go, take your horn. You're going to anoint a new king. He says, when Saul sees I'm leaving to go anoint a new king, Saul's going to kill me. He says, take a calf as you go. Say, well, I'm just going to have a sacrifice in Bethlehem. That's what they do. Jesse's told to bring his sons to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab. And thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. All right? Jesse comes in. Jesse brings his son. Here comes the oldest son. His name's Eliab. Samuel says, surely this is the guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his statue because I have rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees. For man looks at an outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab. And made him pass before Samuel. Well, it wasn't alive. It must be a bit of that. We'll send him in. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest and behold, he is tending the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So Jesse brings all of his sons. One at a time, the sons pass before. And each time God says to Samuel, this isn't the guy. This looks like the guy's not the guy. Firstborn, not the guy. Moves all the way through. Gets all the way through. And Samuel says, are these all of your kids? Are these all of your sons? And Jesse says, well... There's this one, but he's the youngest. There's this one. He's kind of a kid. There's this one. He's out with the sheep. Somebody had to stay out there. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. 
Saul's servants then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall come when the evil spirit comes from God upon you. He shall play the harp with his hand and you will be well. All right, that's the story. The point of it is this. They pick Saul. Saul's not obedient. Saul doesn't honor God in obedience. God replaces him. God picks his replacement. He says he's going to come from Bethlehem. He's going to come out of Jesse's house. He'll be one of his sons. And then he goes, and it's the last son. Here's the point to all this. His choice of king was an unlikely choice, to say the, the least. Surely there's somebody with a, with a more impressive family. Uh, this, these people took care of sheep. They were from this, this little tiny town outside of Jerusalem. They're out there in the middle of nowhere. They're sheep herders. Surely there's a more impressive family. Surely there's more impressive people. So he goes and gets this unimpressive people with an unimpressive job, and he brings their family in. Then he picks the unlikeliest person of that family. He, he doesn't get the oldest. He doesn't get the next one. doesn't get the next one. In fact, the guy he gets is so unlikely, his dad didn't even bring him in. Now think about that. It is so unlikely that they're going to choose David that his dad doesn't even say he ought to be here for this event. He is that unlikely. Now I want you to imagine two things. We're not going to stay here long. I want you to imagine two things. First thing is this. What do you think the brothers thought as they were called up and then passed by? And I, I thought about that. If you know brothers, or if, you, if you've been around brothers, maybe you have brothers. I thought about that for a second. The first brother, he's the oldest, says he's tall, that Samuel said, surely this will be the next king of Israel. And so I think he probably walks up thinking, well, I got the birthright. I'm the oldest guy. This is a, this is a shoe in. And God says, he's not the one. And I wonder what he does when he goes. <laughs> so he steps over. Next guy comes up. And next guy comes up. And let me tell you what he says. Well, I know he's not very smart. <laughs> I've been around him. And I know he doesn't work very hard. He, I know that. And so, yeah, God's smarter than that. God's not going to pick him. But I am, I am that guy. And God says, it's not you. And then the third brother comes up, and I know what he says. I, both those guys aren't worth two cents. I know what they do. This guy here is not very smart, and this one's kind of lazy. I'm the guy. I'm the one he's going to pick. And he passes him by. And it goes down the whole list. Can you imagine by the fourth brother? You know, by the fourth or fifth brother, they don't think they're going to get picked. They, they're there just to hang out. But all of a sudden, this guy gets passed by, and this guy, and you're the fifth brother. Don't you think the fifth brother probably thought, I'm about to be the king. I'm about to be the king of Israel. Those guys, I could have told you that. I'm about to be the king. And then he's knocked out. And the sixth brother, well, I think I might end up. This might be a deal. All the way to the brother that nobody even went and got. Here's my question. What do you think God's reasoning was in doing it like this. Why did he have this process? And I thought about it. He could have just said, Samuel, there's a guy with some sheep named David. Get him. We're going back to Jerusalem. 
He could have done that. He could have said, Jesse, you have a brother, a son. He's the youngest. His name is David. Get him. He doesn't do that. Even Samuel doesn't know. Samuel said, I thought this was the guy. Why do you think God does that? And here's, here's what I think. There's no right answer. I think God did that to do something that he always does to make the point that God uses the least likely and sometimes the most unlikely and, and a lot of times the most unappreciated to do mighty things. And so, you know what? Jesus should come as a, as, and he should be born in royalty and he should be, no, he's born out behind a, a stable. And, and it's the same way here. Oh, you should get this family and you should get that son. I think God makes it known. The least likely, the one you didn't even expect is the one I'm going to take and I'm going to use for my purpose. And I think that's how God works. God says his strength is made known in our dumbness, our weakness. And that's exactly what's happening here. I'll get the guy that y'all don't even send for and I'll make him the king. All right, the next section, trained and tested. Trained and tested. <coughs> All right, I'm about to read a whole, I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter, chapter 17. It's the account of David and Goliath. First Samuel chapter 17, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sukkah, which belongs to Judah, and they came by Sokah and Azekah and Ephraim's Dalman, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to, enter the, to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side of the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, Translates to over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was clothed with scale armor. His armor matched his big size, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze, about 200 pounds. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come up to draw up in battle array? Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then I will become your servants. This big giant shows up. He's got all this armor. He's got a, a, a shield bearer. He says, Why are y'all out here to fight? Why do we have to have this big battle? You see me, send somebody out here, and we'll, we'll settle it. We'll fight. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. If I, if I defeat him, then it's just like the battle's lost, and you become servants to us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. He mocks them. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, I want you to see this. The king and everybody under the king, Saul and all the ranks of the army, they were dismayed. They were greatly afraid. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. 
And he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in the years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle. Three of his sons are in the army. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the second to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. Now three, the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. This Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. All right, Jesse's got three sons. The three oldest fight in the army. They are there. This giant comes down every morning and taunts them. This giant comes down every evening, makes the same offer, taunts them. David's going back and forth. He takes care of the sheep. He brings them supplies. He takes care of the sheep, brings them something to eat. Then Jesse said to David, his son, now take now your brothers an ephrath of this roasted grain and these 10 loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these 10 cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. Take them this food. Let me know how they're doing. For Saul and they are, and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. All right, verse 20. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. And he was talking with them. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines. They're lined up. The Israelites are lined up. He's talking with his brothers. While that's happening, Goliath comes out. And he spoke the same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Man, if there's somebody that can take this guy out, if there's somebody that can defeat him, the king's going to bless him, the king's going to give him his daughter, He's going to set his family free. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who, who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? That's a big deal. Israel is being embarrassed. They're being ashamed. They won't send anybody out to fight. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God. That's one of my favorite lines in the whole thing. David comes, he's just a kid, but he says, we serve the living God. Our, our, our God is, is living and active. He's, he's marvelous, he's mighty. Who is this guy that he comes out here and taunts us? The people answered him in accord with this word saying, thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you've come down in order to see the battle. He says, What are you doing here? Why aren't you with the sheep? 
But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same as before. All right, verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul. Hey, there's a guy down there that says, who's this guy to taunt us? And he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he arose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Saul says, who are you? You're not going to be able to do anything. And he says, you don't know about me. I've been out, and I've fought bears, and I've fought lions, and this guy's going to be just like them. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. They didn't fit him. They were too big. They are going to bog him down. I haven't tried to practice in these. And David took them off, takes off the armor. He took his stick in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from a brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine, takes off the helmet, takes off the armor, picks up five stones with a stick, puts them in his little bag. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He burned in his hatred for this little guy coming out there. For he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. They sent a kid out here. He, he hated him. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I have come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. He said, You got all this stuff on, you got all these weapons, and I come to you in the name of the Lord. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's my second favorite line. I'm going to cut your head off. We're going to kill this army that all the world, when they hear about this day, will know there is a God in Israel. And that all his assembly may know the Lord does not deliver by the sword or by the spear, for the battle is the Lord's. 
and he will give you into our hand. Then it happened when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line in order to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Listen to this. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Now remember he said he's going to cut his head off. He doesn't have a sword. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled, fled, they broke and run. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay on the road to Shereem, even Gath and Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He, but he put his weapons in the tent. Now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, by your life, O king, I don't even know. Don't know who this guy is. The king said, you inquire whose son this youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Awesome story. Pretty much a well-known story. Telling us, really, now think about this, of the days of the preparation of David. Now we read that account, we go, well, that's an awesome, that's an awesome event, that's an awesome thing. But I want you to think about this. As he was serving as a shepherd, as he was daily taking care of the sheep, as he was fighting the bears and the lions, and as he goes to fight Goliath, really what's happening is God is preparing him and testing him to be the king of Israel. Think about that for a second. Some of those days, nothing happened. Some of those days, a lion came. Many of those days were hot. Some of those days were cold. Some of those days, it seemed like they were pointless. But in those days, God is training him and testing him to be the king of Israel. I want you to just think for just a second. What ways do you think God was training him, building him, shaping him? And I, I thought about that. He had to have courage. He had to have work ethic. He had to have resolve. He had to be... Have, confidence. He had to have boldness. Says he chased down the line and pulled his beard out. Uh, you just keep going down the, the list there. He had to have integrity. He had to know who God was. The same way God delivered me from the bears and the lions, he'll deliver me from this Philistine. This little old kid guy goes out and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the God, the, the army of the living God? All of those things he learned in these years. Now, here's the point to all that. We're going to keep moving. Here's the point to all of that. In those days, 
Some normal, some, some hard, some easy. God is preparing David. I want you to think about two things right there. First off, do you ever think David on those days said, what's the point to this? What's another day with sheep? Where I'm not doing anything important. Does, do you think he ever said, this day's too long, it's too hot, why am I out here? What's the deal with these bears? I, I'm tired of that. Do you ever think he wondered, what is the point of these days? And then can he ever imagine the days that are ahead? The greatest king of Israel will drive out and defeat another army and another army and another army. I'm sure he couldn't even fathom the days that were coming ahead when he's in these days. Here's the point to all that. God trains us in days we don't understand and some days we don't even like for days that are coming ahead. And so we may say, you know what, I don't understand the point to these days. I don't know why these days seem so long. I don't know why these things are so hard. And God is taking normal days, easy days, hard days, and shaping and training people for things that are ahead. Exact same thing today. You know what, God may be training you. God may be shaping you. God may be checking your integrity, your resolve. He may be putting boldness into you for a day that you'll stand and say, you know what, I never expected days like these days. The last part of our, of our lesson, it says anointed and appointed. If you keep reading from there, it is some of the, the craziest things that happen. Um, Saul befriends David. Saul wants to kill David. Saul's son, Jonathan, becomes a great friend of David. I mean, just a crazy account. Uh, it ends up and battles happen, long process. Um, Saul is killed. David is already been anointed as king. Uh, the first thing that happens in 2 Samuel chapter 2, uh, after Saul's dead, now he is appointed as the king of Judah. The, the ones there at Jerusalem say, he is our king, he's the next king. Um, but the descendants of Saul, the, the Israelites say, well, he's not our king. That's not how this works. He's not in the lineage. And so we're gonna appoint an heir of Saul. And so for a little bit, there's two kings. There's one of Judah and there's one of Israel. The Israelites say, he's not our king. They have a conflict. They have a brief civil war. Uh, everybody falls into line. And by the time you get to, to 2 Samuel chapter 5, there is one king. Uh, he's the king of the whole nation, of all the people. The Israelites, the, 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 the followers from Judah, uh, all call David as king. And so now we have one king appointed by God, led by God, empowered by God, leading the people of God. A lot of stuff happens to get us to that point. That's how this section ends. The country is unified. Great things are about to happen, and they are under the king that God has set into place. Now, here's, here's how I'm going to end this tonight. It was a long way to get there. And there was a lot of trouble in getting there. And there was a lot of heartbreak in getting there. And there were people that died, fought each other, related to each other in getting there. Here's the point to all this. Wouldn't it have been better just to follow the recipe at the start? Remember when Samuel said, this isn't what you want, this isn't what God wants for you. God wants to be your king. And they say, we want it our way, we want it our way. 
Wouldn't it have been easier just to follow the recipe from the start? Here's the point for us. God still leads in his word. He still directs in his word. He still gives us his infinite wisdom in his word. He still has the best for us in his love for us revealed to us in his word. Here's the, here's the question. Wouldn't it be easier just to go by the recipe? You know what? This is what God has said. This is what I'm going to do. I don't have to go out and reinvent the wheel. I don't go out to crash into all the walls. I don't have to go out and prove myself. I'm going to go with the recipe. If we will listen to God, trust who he is, and walk in exact obedience, let me tell you two things. We will be blessed and he will be glorified. If we will do those things, listen to God's word, trust in who he is, walk in exact obedience, we will be blessed, he will be glorified. Glad you're here tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for this truth. I pray that we get a hold of it tonight, that we remember it. I pray, Lord, that we'd be people that would know you from your word, trust you from who you are and what you've done, and walk in obedience. And if that's what you tell us, that that's what we're committed to do. And I pray the result of that would be peace in our lives, and that's what you promise us, and that your name would be known. There is a living God, and I pray that you be glorified through it. I pray for, again, the classes meeting tonight. Bless them, use them, encourage them. Pray for the folks in this room. Again, as we've heard your word, help it to become part of us and that we become doers of your word. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Glad you're here.